All of us will die. Our cities and countries, the civilization that bred us. And after all that, when our dreams, when even the language we speak has disappeared from the earth, is that the same as if we had never lived at all? Welcome to Creepycast. That feeling in your stomach as you reach the top of the roller coaster and spot a missing piece of track. Don't worry, it's all part of the fun. Just not yours. We're on our last ever episode here. I never intended to do this many, but you were all so encouraging, I had no choice but to go on. However, madness awaits me over the next few months. Worldcon is in Dublin, Eurocon is in Belfast, and in between times my poor house is to be gutted. Oh, not in a good way, like one of my characters would do it, with panache and a cheeky grin as the knife twists. No, this will be a necessary mess. More of a medical procedure than a joyful spree. Anyway, for now, let's just finish the tale that we began last time. You may remember that at the beginning of it we saw a young boy dying heroically while trying to stop barbarian invaders. We heard him issue an ancient challenge. I am the sacrifice that has ended your lives. My name is Jaharam, a champion in the mind of God. Like us, another young boy was watching him die, a boy who was also sworn to go down fighting, despite the fact that he is desperate to live. He knows his people are doomed, but heroism is such a powerful force that God remembers it, and thus his sacrifice will prevent his people from being utterly forgotten. Or so he's been taught. Anyway, let's find out what happens next. Forever, in the memory of God, part two of two. The Watcher's meditations improved by the day. He trained hard. He learned to distinguish individual souls in the cloud. Most lacked distinction. Men and women whose lives had meant nothing faded quickly from the mind of the god. But now and again, a hero would emerge. One day, the watcher found the soul of a blacksmith named Gawain, who had refused to kneel before a lord. A crime, of course. Gowan did not repent of it. He whispered blasphemies to the Watcher that day of how there should be no lords at all. Even at the block, Gowan had refused to kneel, and five guards failed to bring him down. Let the headsman take me where I stand, he had declared to the booing crowd. I will not resist his stroke. Nor had he. A strong soul, yes. But he was of no use to the Watcher. In fact, 
most of the great souls he encountered seemed strangely peaceful. Many were nothing but mothers who'd given all to protect their miserable families. And yet, their names burned so brightly, they often distracted him from his own searches. He needed heroes, fighters. Soon, the Watcher perfected his meditations and learned to pick out the most useful warriors from the cloud. Later still, as he practised fighting with the other champions, he successfully channeled the skills of the glorious dead. He exulted in it. Although so much younger than his comrades, the Watcher always seemed better at using the memories than they were. The first time he beat Palsic, he sent the big man sprawling in the dust of the practice yard, the greatest of the champions humbled by a child. A grin stretched his face to breaking point, and he clenched his fists together above his head. Blood dribbled over Palsic's lower lip. He wiped it, with the back of his hand, and stared at it as if he couldn't understand how it had gotten there. I won, said the Watcher. Palzik disagreed. The souls you gathered, the great souls, are what beat me. He took the Watcher's small shoulders in his large hands. The boy's heart sped up. A dozen spirits thrust themselves forward. Each knew a way to kill this man, to break his arms, or to double him over, gasping in the dust, never to walk again. The power, the power of it. What you have done, said Palzik, does not make you a great soul. Do you understand me? The Watcher made no reply. Next time you look into the cloud... See if you can find a king. A king? Men who controlled vast armies when they lived. Men who brought life or death to thousands. I am thirty years old, and I never came across such a one in the cloud. Oh, I'm sure one or two of them in all of history must have been great souls. But that's not the point. It's not power that makes us great in the eyes of God. It's sacrifice, said the Watcher. The more costly, the better. He shivered. Failure led to nothingness. Or worse, a man who turned his back on his own might become a ghost and never reach the mind of God at all. An echo for mortal eyes alone. An anonymous Empty, pointless spirit. I'm sorry, Palzik. The man smiled and nodded. The Watcher did not want to end up a ghost when he died. Not that such an event lay near at hand. But when the time came, he would create such a spectacle that the God himself could not fail to notice. He couldn't wait for the day he would give his oath and go out into the world and get started on forging a great name for himself. After practice, the Watcher would sneak up to the window where the High Priestess had once pulled his ear and threatened him 
with the life of a slave. He looked out over the market and inhaled the rich aromas from the spice stall directly below. The man there called customers from the crowd for all the world like a champion finding great souls. His daughter worked with him, and the watcher rarely saw more than the black crown of her hair, elaborately beaded, different, every day. When he was twelve, she chanced to look up and see him. He froze for an instant, then ducked back inside, his heart hammering. Hey, she called. Hey! There was something about her. Something. Yes, she was pretty. He'd always known she would be if ever she turned around. But that wasn't it. He went back the following day. When she didn't look up at him, he waited until her father asked her to pack something away and then dropped a small stone into one of the baskets beside her. She smiled up at him, her cheeks dimpled, curved like hunter's bows, framing full lips and straight white teeth. And above all that, blue eyes, blue like those of the northern hordes, blue like the passion flowers worshippers sometimes brought to the temple, the eyes of a worthless barbarian that nobody could love. He grinned back, full of a strange joy until her father called her away and he ducked inside before he could be seen. His legs had lost their strength. He slid onto his bottom, still smiling. After that, his duties kept him away from the window for many days. Meditations and fights before growing crowds of monks with the high priestess screaming at him to do better. Everybody else fussed and took notes, whispering amongst themselves. Only twelve years old, he heard several times. It wasn't enough to be born a champion. It wasn't enough to mine the greatest souls from the memories of the god. The Watcher had to learn which fighters to use and in what order. In a real battle, there was no time to think. A champion had to know his collection of heroes intimately. He had to spend huge amounts of time in meditation with them, so that when a threat came from sword or bow, he knew immediately who would take control of his muscles. As the threat changed, other souls were swapped in and out, taking over the fight. But in the dark of his cell, or lying down in a hot bath after the exertions of his body, his imagination was free again. Other boys, his own age, were already stealing kisses from barmaids and milkmaids, their bodies soft, he imagined, under simple shifts. Oh, the excitement of it, to pull a girl close, both of you giggling, and then, breathless, touching, fumbling, splitting up as footsteps rounded the corner, and ever after, secret smiles exchanged. He saw blue eyes like his own that he should have feared and hated. He couldn't wait to see them again.
Why shouldn't he have the same joys as everybody else? Why shouldn't he? And finally, a day came when no fights were announced. They ordered him to meditate in his cell. Very important, they said. War had been declared on the blue-eyed hordes of the north. Some of the champions would be sent to the front, leaving only four of them to guard the temple with a pair of unsworn boys, Jaharam and the Watcher. The god had once commanded his people not to attack foreigners, but this provocation was such that everybody said it was really as if the barbarians had been the ones to start it. Surely the god would ignore such a small sin. At any other time, the watcher would have been fascinated with the war. He would have searched the cloud for new heroes, or acquainted himself better with those he already knew. Instead, he found himself in the wrong corridor. He passed cells emptied of his fellow champions until he reached the window. Outside, the war had provoked a storm of buying and selling. But the girl was already looking up, as if she had been waiting for him. Hey, she called. Hey there. Her accent was rough. Her smile even lovelier than before. My name is Betton. He grinned at her for a full minute and couldn't stop himself until she raised her eyebrows. He realised something was required from him in return. I'm a champion at the temple, he said. Well, he nearly was. My name is... Somebody grabbed him around the waist and dragged him away from the window. He fell onto the hard stone floor. A slap sent him backwards. His instinct drew forth a street fighter called Boxer to take control of his body and knock over his attacker. But no further blows fell. The high priestess's jowly face lowered itself near to his. He flinched as her hand approached. But she wasn't trying to hit him. She stroked his hair as his mother must have done once, long ago. The old witch had tears on her face. She pulled him close. These things are not for us, she whispered. I know, Superior. I was beautiful once. I know, Superior, I know. He felt her thin body shaking in his arms, and he realised that this was the closest he would ever get to any woman. And she knew it too as she rocked him. A sickness roiled in his belly. His head spun. The next time he came into the corridor and looked out, the stall was not there. Blue eyes were not welcome in the city anymore. He hoped Betton was all right, off up the coast in Pilgrim Rest here, somewhere safe. Maybe, maybe some day, he could join her there. He came back to the place 
where his sword waited for him, still in its sheath, surrounded by the petals he had spilled. His eyes wandered around the flickering shadows of the cavern roof. The back door would be here somewhere. He could look for it again and might even find it this time. No, he whispered. I must keep my oath. That was the way of a great man whose soul might remain in the God's fondest memory. To sacrifice everything. He would hold the invaders off longer than Jaharam or Palzik or any of the others. Or any champion who had ever lived. And some day, in the far future, a boy would search the cloud and see one soul shining brighter than any other. Far away, a stone rattled and echoed down the open passage. A cold hand squeezed the watcher's stomach. Voices, rough men cursing and crawling slowly towards him. And worse, somebody started hacking and battering at the other entrance, the old oak door. He looked at his sword. He had to pick it up and assume the pose before they got here. He had to issue the challenge. The sight of him, skinny boy though he was, would take half the fight out of them. Perhaps they would be so frightened they'd try to skirt around him on the way to mind of God. They would kill the women, but leave him there, undefeated, alive. No, no. He had promised to give the priestesses a full candle. That was the whole point. His pulse thudded in time to the blows against the door. Oak began to splinter, little scraps of tinder squirting out of wooden veins. More voices in the passage. Sharp, sharp knives scraping against rock as heartless men crawled towards him. His sword still rested on the boulder in its sheath. They'll think I'm one of them with my blue eyes. I could help them kill the old hag. The door burst asunder. An axe-wielding giant stood on the other side, bundled and steaming furs, his skin corpse-white in the few places where boils had failed to sprout. He saw no champions ready for violence and sacrifice. Nor did he see a fellow blue eyes. Just a boy in enemy clothing, his skin and hair too dark to be friendly. The invader bellowed and charged, his weapon raised, other big men pushing in behind him. The watcher shook himself. He fell back, tripping over his own feet as the barbarian grunted and the axe whipped past the tip of his nose. He hit the ground and felt his bladder give way, soaking the front of his breeches. Dodgling, he cried. I need dodgling. And she came. The soul of a girl, younger than he when she had died, took control of his body. Dodgling a sneak thief from the streets of a great city, who had been too generous in the end for her own good. 
the axe swung down again and Dodgling flipped her host to the right. She made him dive forward under the next attack, pulling him to his feet into a roll. The sword, cried the boy. Get me the sword. A few men already surrounded the boulder on which it lay, and they argued over it in loud gibberish. With the first barbarian still behind, Dodgling made the watcher vault up over the shoulders of one enemy and on to the boulder beyond. She landed him well, picked up the sheath and started smacking the surprised men about the head with it. Not like that, screeched the watcher. But it was his own fault. Just in time, he called for the soul of Reaver. By now, the big axe-man had bullied his comrades out of the way, his whole face red, not just the boils. He raised his weapon. Reaver snarled with the watcher's mouth and kicked the big man in the jaw while flinging the sheath of the sword in another barbarian's eyes. By now, some of the enemy faces were showing the first signs of fear. It was too late for those nearest the champion. Reaver had all their throats out in an instant. He leapt off the boulder before the first crossbow bolts could reach the watcher's head. He slashed at the barbarians pouring through the door, while still others crawled out of the open tunnel. The boy's body did not have the energy to maintain souls like Reaver and Dodgling for long. He needed a more efficient killer and switched to the spirit of Cleave, a celebrated fencer. Single stabs took one enemy after another, their blue eyes wide with fear, the gaps in their armour too large to miss. Even so, their numbers grew, and his breath now came in gasps. He brought Dodgling back for a moment when somebody grabbed him about the neck. She slid him out of the hold, but a line of searing pain took him in the arm, and his sword clattered to the ground. Blood. Losing blood. He won back the sword and had to switch to Gaunt, a left-handed fighter who had died in a forgotten last stand, much like this one. Bodies. Bodies everywhere piling up, causing his clumsy enemies to stagger onto his blade in ever greater numbers. He was tired now. Too tired almost to lift his weapon. He called up the spirit of Shan, who had kept fighting through years of arthritis. He would not last long now. He hoped the priestesses would bring the mountain down soon. Another cut. More pain. The watcher could barely see through his own tears. A punch from Boxer sent one man reeling, and then... Then there was nobody else. Nobody willing to face him. A carpet of bodies spread all the way across the floor. A line of fresh men had just come in. They knelt before him. Big, hairy barbarians with the blue eyes of demons. His own eyes. They knelt. And raised their crossbows. Another line of men came in behind them, similarly armed and ready to fire. Dodgling 
might have been able to flip him back behind the boulder. But his body no longer had the energy for it. His right arm would not take the landing. Pain racked every part of his body, but that would be as nothing compared to the storm of bolts that would leave him gasping out his life as poor Jaharam had done. It was wrong. All wrong. I've done my duty. He wanted to run, but knew it would serve no purpose. Instead, he called forth Charger to make a glorious end of it. And then, the mountain shook. Crossbow bolts went off, but missed him when he and his remaining enemies tumbled to the ground. Dust drifted down from the ceiling. A clatter of small stones fell all around. Barbarians yelled in fear and covered their heads. Cracks ran up the walls. I made it. I kept my promise. O oh, Crom, remember me always. O oh, please, my God. The ground continued to shake. He'd never see Betton now. Never kiss her or anybody else. Never know love or happiness or the wonders of distant lands. Suddenly, a section of the wall to his left came away entirely, and daylight filtered down towards him, lighting up the falling flecks of dust like fireflies. The back door revealed at last. Fresh, cold air rushed down over his sweating body. As if this were a signal, the shaking came to a sudden end. The priestesses had not yet completed their spell, it seemed. They were still missing one ingredient. A fallen barbarian called out to his comrades in their impossible tongue, and they began to pick themselves up. The watcher did not think about it. He didn't call on any great soul to help him. He didn't need to. He jumped up, sword still in hand, and ran into the new tunnel. He heard the enemy cheering their victory behind him and did not care. He kept running, pushing his exhausted body as none of the borrowed souls ever had, until, shoving through the branches of a weeping willow tree, he found himself outside. He had a glorious view of the city. It was burning, of course. All of it was burning. Thick columns of smoke hazing out the sun. Down on the coast road, lines of shackled people waited for northern ships to carry them off. But he could hear none of their cries of distress. He found a path and stumbled down it, until he saw more barbarians coming the other way. They might have heard rumours of a back way into the temple, and had come searching for it. Why else climb the mountain, when they had a whole city of loot open to them below? His heart beat faster again. He did not want to fight them, was not sure he could. But as they moved closer, he saw 
there were only six of them and laughed. Six. Six men between him and freedom. Between him and Betton up in Pilgrim Rest here. Not even the weakest champion would fear such odds. He planted himself in their path and held his sword before him with the point down. They must have never met a champion before because they kept climbing without fear, throwing him only the most cursory of glances. When they came into earshot, he called out the ancient challenge. I am the sacrifice that has ended your lives. My name is... He stopped in puzzlement. My name is... The next part would not come to him, and his voice trailed away. My name... The men kept a good distance as they walked around him. Soon they were gone. Hours later, when they came back, laden with jewellery and black with the soot of burned scrolls, he was still there, still trying to remember his own name. They shrugged and passed into the growing darkness, down towards the embers of a dead city, soon to be forgotten. The End Well, that's us. I want to thank all of you who have listened to these podcasts over the last few weeks and months. I couldn't have done it without you. And I hope, along with hoping for world peace and an end to climate change and all that kind of thing, I hope you enjoyed some of the stories at least and that you will consider joining me again in September when I return with a brand new venture. Anyway, that's it. Thanks to you all. Take care. Bye.